Larry, how many years have I been asking you for that CD? <laughs> a lot of years. All right. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. Of all the uh, places where I speak during a year, this auditorium is the most challenging of all. And that's because we have right field, we have left field, and we have the infield. And on days like this, when a lot of our folks are traveling because we've had spring break, uh, a lot of holes in all the fields, so he could hit a ball anywhere today. (laughs) Even though the Passover didn't begin for another week, The city of Jerusalem was filled with pilgrims from every province of the Roman Empire. Every lodging place was filled and the hillsides surrounding Jerusalem were covered with tents where many of the pilgrims would be staying for the entire week. And sooner or later every conversation, whether around a dinner table or around one of the campfires, would turn to the rabbi, the miracle worker, Jesus. He was on everyone's mind. There were many who had never even seen him because they had come from distant places. There were some there who could talk about, uh, we saw him uh, deliver someone from a demon. We saw a healing. The conversations were about the rabbi. Some were present who had seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. Some had seen him feed 5,000 miraculously. Some had seen him feed 4,000 miraculously. And everyone who heard him teach commented on the inexplicable authority that was present in every one of his words. And of course, they delighted in talking about the way he continually put the Pharisees to flight in debate after debate. But the big question was, will he come to the Passover? And that was the atmosphere, and that was the scene, which was the background for what we celebrate today, the triumphal entry. Let me read Mark's abbreviated report. And as they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it to me. We're reading from Mark 11. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he'll send it back here. They went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street. They untied it, and some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission to take the colt. They brought the colt to Jesus, put their garments on it, And he sat upon it. And many spread their garments in the road, and others spread leafy branches which they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed after were crying out, Hosanna 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking all around, he departed to Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. This morning we want to harmonize all four gospel accounts and tell the story of the triumphal entry in its completeness as far as a biblical record goes. Now the story begins in Bethany several weeks prior to the triumphal entry. Jesus had come to Bethany because his dear friend Lazarus had died. And his body had been in the grave four days. Already it was decaying. And yet Jesus stood before the tomb and cried out, Lazarus, come forth! And into that decayed body came life, and the putrefied flesh was whole again. At that moment, no one doubted that Jesus was a miracle worker. And there were some who from that moment on, clearly saw him as the Messiah. But there were others who did not deny that it was a miracle worker because they had seen the miracle, and yet, blinded by religious prejudice, they rushed back to Jerusalem to tell the Jewish authorities about what had happened at Bethany. And the Jewish political religious establishment was infuriated Because increasingly, Jesus was drawing people away from them unto himself. In that moment, in that day, they began to put together a very deliberate plot to kill him. But it was not God's appointed time for Jesus to die. And so he took his disciples away from Bethany. They did not go into Jerusalem. They they went north into the village of Ephraim in the wilderness of Jessamine. We don't know how long they stayed there, but they stayed there for a period of time. And then after that, they left Ephraim and traveled north and east along the border of Samaria and Galilee and came to the Jordan River and crossed the Jordan River into the land known as Perea. And while they were in Perea, some very significant things happened. Luke 17, for example, records some of these. But as the time of the Passover drew near, Jesus led his disciples out of Perea and began his final journey to Jerusalem. Now, coming from the north, Galilee and the other regions... No one would take the shortest route through Samaria because the Samaritans were a despised people. Instead, they traveled the Jordan Road. It was the road that near, was near the Jordan River. And great hordes of pilgrims then were on this road when Jesus and his disciples joined the crowd. And they began to walk with them south along the Jordan Road toward the terminus of old Jericho. On Friday, 
two days before the triumphal entry, Mark tells us that as Jesus walked along that path, he had such a stern look upon his face that the disciples were afraid to approach him. Deep in thought, he walked ahead and they walked behind. And then as the day drew to a close, he took them aside, they left the road and went a short distance away to camp out for the night, possibly, probably built a campfire. And around that campfire, he began to speak to them about what was going to happen. Mark 10, 33 and following, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. They'll condemn him to death, and will deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, and spit upon him, and scourge him, and kill him. Three days later, he'll rise again. Now, the disciples were stunned by this statement. It was really just too much for them to accept. And that was because of their preconceived ideas about the kingdom of God and what Jesus was really going to do. Throughout his ministry, he kept trying to explain to them, but it just didn't compute. Jesus, clearly they came to see, was the Messiah. Peter had confessed that. And the Messiah was supposed to reign forever. Any day now, Jesus was going to be crowned as king. They had the sense that there was something about to happen. He even had told them that the day will come when you twelve will sit upon twelve thrones and judge Israel. How does that in any way harmonize with the fact that he's going to be killed? but he kept saying these things about dying. It just didn't compute. And then, around that campfire, something happened that was totally out of character. Jesus' aunt had joined the crowd from Galilee and traveling down the Jordan Road, evidently had started the trip just as Jesus and his disciples had come from Perea, and so his aunt also was traveling with them. Her sons were James and John. They were Jesus' cousins. And so she and her boys approached Jesus. Lord, when you come to your kingdom, let your cousins sit beside you, one on the right side and one on the left, the chief seat. Jesus said, these are not mine to give. That's in the domain of the Father who is in heaven. And then he delivered that marvelous teaching concerning greatness in the kingdom of God. You see, the disciples were angry with James and John and and, and, and an argument began to take place. They began to attack them. You're trying to use your, your blood relationship. You're asking Jesus to practice nepotism. 
And Jesus said, you know, among the Gentiles, the rulers lorded over everybody. And this is recorded in Matthew 20. He said, in the kingdom it is not so. And then he concluded the teaching by saying this, he that is greatest in the kingdom of heaven is slave of all. Wow. That sure didn't fit what they were arguing over. The next morning was Saturday. It's interesting that's the Sabbath. The Sabbath, of course, goes from sunset to sunset. And the law said that people should not work on the Sabbath day. And the scribes then would argue, well, what does it mean to work? Can you carry something? And they came up with all kinds of rules. One was if you can carry anything as long as it is so light you could carry it on a palm branch. If the palm branch can't handle it, it's too heavy and that's work. Also, you can only go a Sabbath day's journey and that was a little less than a mile, approximately seven-eighths of a mile. If you walk beyond that, you're working and that's sin. And it just occurred to me this morning, and unfortunately it occurred to me this morning, and I didn't have a chance to look it up. And we noticed the journey from this point on that Jesus made to Jerusalem, and several times he interrupted and stayed someplace for a while. I wonder, was he observing that Sabbath day's rule? I, I, unfortunately, I didn't have time to get out my map and calculate the distances to see But they said, well, if you only walk seven-eighths of a mile from your home, what is your home? And they said, well, your home is where you eat. And so they would pack a lunch and walk seven-eighths of a mile and have a sandwich (laughs) and then walk another seven-eighths of a mile. It's interesting, Jesus' trip from this point on was interrupted. We wonder, I don't know, interesting speculation But they came to Old Jericho. Now, Old Jericho was, you know, the city destroyed by Joshua. The walls had fallen outward. It had never been rebuilt. Prophetically, it was said it never would be. But that was the terminus of many roads. Roads from the north, roads from the south, roads from the east, roads from various points of the compass converged at this point And the road west then was the Jericho-Jerusalem road. And so crowds from all directions came to this hub. And as Jesus and his disciples came to that point and turned west toward toward Jerusalem, you can imagine the excitement in the crowd. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's going to Jerusalem And as they approached the ruins of old Jericho, there was a blind man seated just outside the fallen walls on the eastern side. His name was Bartimaeus. And he heard the crowd speaking Jesus, and Jesus passed by. And he had heard that Jesus had healed the blind. Had he missed his chance? 
And he quickly began to move around the north side of those ruins and met another blind man. And together they got to the other side thinking perhaps we can get there before Jesus comes out. And indeed, they arrived just as Jesus and the disciples were exiting the western side of those ruins. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus heard their cry and healed them. And they were no longer blind. Jesus continued walking just a very short distance now to New Jericho, the new city that had been built just west of old Jericho. And as he entered the city and walking through its midst, he looked up and saw a little man in a tree. (laughs) His name was Zacchaeus. Now the folks of Jericho, New Jericho, hated Zacchaeus because he was an agent of the Roman government. He was a publican. He was a tax collector. And being short of stature, I've often wondered, was he bullied as a kid by big guys? (laughs) Did he like to assert his authority? You used to treat me that way, but now I'm your boss. I can tell you what to do. I can go into your house and level against you any tax I want. And he did. And he made their taxes higher than that which he had to turn in and kept the rest for himself. He was an avaricious man. And Jesus looked at him and said, Zacchaeus, come down. Today, I'm going to your house. <laughs> no doubt that shocked the folks. And I wondered, did Zacchaeus momentarily think, now I'm really somebody. Jesus is coming to my house. But something happened in that house. He was touched. This heartless man had a heart given to him. And his heart was touched. And he repented and he said, I will give back everything I've taken and that which I've taken in really much more than I should. I'll give back multiples of repentant man. And in response to his evidence of repentance, Jesus made one of the most marvelous statements about salvation. Luke 19, 9, Jesus said to him today, Salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. And in this, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Aren't we thankful that that's true? When Jesus left New Jericho then for the final leg of his journey, we can just imagine how intense the excitement must have become. They expected Jesus to enter Jerusalem that afternoon. Some thought surely he is going to set up the royal monarchy. We're going to see Israel freed from the Romans. All the glory of the Davidic kingdom today is going to come about. 
Jesus stopped and gave the parable of the pounds. He said a certain king called his servants and gave them various responsibilities. And then he went away and he was gone a long, long time to the point the servants wondered, well, is he ever coming back? But he did come back. And when he came back, he called his servants before him, and one by one he examined them, and each one that had been a good steward and a faithful steward of his possessions, he rewarded generously. But those who did not were punished. And by this parable, Jesus was saying, what you're hoping for isn't going to happen the way that you wish. And as the road near Jerusalem, Jesus turned aside to the village of Bethany where lived his three friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, where some weeks before Jesus had brought Lazarus forth from the tomb. Some of the pilgrims followed Jesus into Bethany. They camped out there that night. Others went on to Jerusalem and spread word that Jesus and disciples were in Bethany and probably tomorrow they're going to arrive. That evening after the close of the Sabbath, after sunset, there was a man that Jesus sometime before had healed of leprosy, a man of uh, pharisaical leanings. He had a banquet for Jesus. Guests were there. And in the middle of this banquet, Mary came into the room and knelt before Jesus. She had in her hands an alabaster box, a very expensive box. And in it was very expensive ointment. And she broke it. I don't know how. But she broke this alabaster box and poured the oil anointing the feet of Jesus with this aromatic ointment. And then with her long hair, she wiped his feet. Judas, who was the treasurer of the group, (laughs) immediately exploded. What a horrible waste! If you were going to get rid of it, you should have sold it and given the money to the poor, which meant put it in our treasury. And he said that because he was an embezzler and he wanted all the money in the treasury he could get. And then the other disciples joined in. It's interesting, the Greek word used is is an extreme word where it's a word that had been used before when Jesus stood before the tomb of Lazarus and grieved over the fact that humanity had to die. You see, Jesus grieved over death. They were grieving over the loss of money. And then a beautiful thing Jesus said, leave her alone in order that she may keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. And then he said this, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, What this woman has done shall also be spoken in memory of her. How beautiful. 
that he accepted the worship and the extravagance of the worship of this woman who adored him as Lord. Jesus and the disciples separated for the night. We're not told, but because it so often was his custom at times like this, we can, I think, very rather surely assume that he spent the night in prayer while the disciples slept. The next morning, Jesus and his disciples began the walk to Jerusalem. They were surrounded by a great crowd. Those that were still coming along the Jericho-Jerusalem road, those who had spent the night in Bethany, and then against the tide, people coming out of Jerusalem to meet him. They hadn't traveled very far till they came to the village of Bethpage, which is near Bethany, and Jesus stopped and said to his disciples, go into that village, you'll find a colt, and according to Matthew, also the colt's mother, a she-ass. Untie them, and if anybody says, why are you taking those animals, they aren't yours, <laughs> say the master or the Lord has need of them, and they'll give permission, and they did. And so they brought these two animals to Jesus, and they put their garments upon them, and instead of sitting upon the mature animal, Jesus sat on the colt. And a colt being hard to manage, the disciples no doubt led the she-ass ahead and the colt followed. That's the most probable way it was done. And then they began to move toward Jerusalem. They came to the Mount of Olives And the path moved slightly to the left, and Jesus looked down and beheld the holy city, glistening in the morning sun. The beautiful Temple of Herod, one of the architectural wonders during that time, pouring out of the city to meet Jesus and his entourage was a great horde of people They threw their robes on the ground. They threw palm branches on the ground trying to make a path for royalty. The scene was one of great joy, probably exceeding anything that had ever happened in Jerusalem. And Jesus' disciples, getting caught up, began to shout, Blessed is the coming of the kingdom of David. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to God in the highest. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. The crowd began to join the disciples and shout those same praises. Jesus was arriving in Jerusalem. The king was coming in the name of the Lord. He is the king of Israel and all the prophecies are going to be fulfilled. Then it happened. Jesus stopped and looked down upon the city and tears began to course down his cheeks. And when he approached, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day even you the things which make for peace, 
but now they have been hidden from your eyes. The days shall come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank before you and surround you, hem you in for every side, and will level you to the ground and your children within you. They will not leave one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. This was an echo of a lament that Jesus had uttered some weeks before when he was traveling from Perea to Bethany to raise Lazarus from the grave. A group of Pharisees met him and said, Herod wants to kill you, so you better stay out of Jerusalem. He knew they weren't concerned for his life. They just wanted him to stay out of Jerusalem. And it was on that occasion, he also wept over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stoneth those that are sent unto thee, how often I would have gathered your children unto me as a hen gathering her chicks under her wings. But you would not. Henceforth, your house is left unto you desolate. And here, the echo of that same lament is in this tremendous time of triumph. Jesus shed tears over the city. Because on this day of glorious triumph, Jesus looked six days ahead. And this very same crowd that was shouting his praises, that very same crowd was going to cry out, crucify him. And less than 40 years later, what Jesus lamented came to pass. The Romans surrounded the city Famine took place in the city. There's one report of a woman even eating her child. Cannibalism was horrible. And the city fell. The beautiful temple of Herod destroyed. And um, 30, 65 years later, the Romans made it against the law for any Jew to even live in that region. It happened. My, think of that crowd. <laughs> we see in that crowd those people who were in a holiday mood. <laughs> and they would go anyway, the excitement would go. Haven't we seen people like that? <laughs> you know, when somebody comes to TCF and they're enthusiastic, this is the greatest church I've ever seen, blah, 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 blah. I always think, Let's see if you come back three weeks from now. And they usually don't. <laughs> Folks that are governed by their emotions. Those whom Paul said are cast about by every wind of doctrine and so on. There were also those who wanted to use Jesus. One occasion, remember, in John 5, Jesus said, uh, You're lauding me not because 
of the miracles I've seen, and you know I'm the Messiah, but because I gave you some bread, (laughs) you want me to give you a loaf of bread, responding to the feeding of the 5,000. You're coming to me for the wrong reason, not because I'm the Messiah, but because I can put you on the eternal food stamp program. There were others who didn't like it because he really was interfering with what they wanted. The Pharisees, the others, you know, their prestige, their money was being touched. And don't we see so many in the world like that today? Casino users, I mean, casino people, the pornographers, the television producers, just on and on we could go, who will use Jesus, some of them even, if they can. Politicians who will use Jesus. Beware sometimes of a politician carrying a Bible. But there were others who knew the identity of the one they were praising. And they meant it with all of their heart, with all of their heart. Yes, I know you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Mary had said she was in the crowd. Lazarus was there. He had seen the other side. And I've often thought, I think we've said before, I wonder if Lazarus complained when Jesus brought him back from paradise. (laughs) Something to think about. Mary Magdalene was there. Jesus had delivered her from seven demons. She knew what she was saying when she praised him. The man born blind was there. The man in Jerusalem that Jesus had healed by the pool of Bethesda. No doubt Bartimaeus and his companion were there. Zacchaeus was there, no doubt. Others on and on. There there were many in the crowd who knew what they were saying and meant it. Praise him. Praise him. Thou art the blessed Redeemer. Let's stand and sing that right now. It's on the back of your bulletins. Praise Him, praise Him. Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. Praise Him, praise Him. Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. Sing over His wonderful love. Proclaim. Hail Him, hail Him, highest archangels in glory. Strength and honor give to His holy name. Like a shepherd, Jesus will guard His children. In His arms, He carries them all day long. Praise Him, praise Him, tell of His excellent greatness. Praise Him, praise Him, ever in joyful song. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. For our sins He suffered and bled and died. He, our rock, our hope of eternal salvation. Hail Him, hail Him, Jesus the crucified. 
sound His praises. Jesus who bore our sorrows, love unbounded, wonderful, deep, and strong. Praise Him, praise Him, tell of His excellent grace. Praise Him, praise Him, ever in joyful song. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. Heavenly portals, loud with hosannas ring. Jesus, Savior, reigneth forever and ever. Crown Him, crown Him. Prophet and priest and king, Christ is coming over the world victorious. Power and glory unto the Lord belong. Praise Him, praise Him, tell of His excellent greatness. Praise Him, praise Him, ever in joyful song. Amen.